Hey, this is Marcia Epstein, and welcome to Talk With Me listeners. It has been a while since we've had a new show, and now it is a new year. And I am thrilled that my first new recording for 2018 is the amazing John Yamras coming to us from Pennsylvania. John has this lovely new book out and a whole bookshelf full of books that, as you know, I'm going to say, man, buy the books. My bookshelf keeps growing, and I'm so glad. My bookshelf is actually my, my favorite books. Don't even go as far away from me as the bookshelf. They go to the beautiful little desk I have in the bay window in my bedroom, which means that I see those books very often and grab them and it's a great reminder of all these wonderful people who are sharing their talents, sharing their stories, sometimes making me laugh, sometimes making me cry, always making me think and giving me a much needed break from some of the real world that seems very unreal to me. And I don't want to go too far in that direction because I'm super happy to have John Yammers join us. Hey, John, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's great to be back on the show. What is this? Our our third time together? That might be. I didn't go back and look, you know, because I it seems like you and I have known each other such a long time and I was thinking about that. And then it's like actually I think it was about two years, a little over two yeah. years ago, something yeah. like that. It's like, wow, it seems like even longer than that. And and you've been such a, a great person to to help me connect with other people whose work you really admire and that's been a whole other journey i know for a while on talk with me i, I posted several posts that were degrees of separation i from know i was gonna mention that <laughs> the six degrees that's so funny i loved yeah. it yeah yeah it was very cool there's my dog saying hello john yeah he's around to pat me is what he really wants to know that silly dog so I know you're a dog person too, so hopefully that wasn't too annoying. Hey, so tell listeners who haven't met you before just a little bit about you. Boy, uh, now that's a real tough question. Uh, um, I'm a writer. I, I hate to refer to myself as a, uh, a, a, a poet. I'm a writer of poetry. That's my, my main choice. Um, I've written, I think it's 26 volumes of poetry, two very bad novels, and this, <laughs> my, my latest foray into prose is uh, this little memoir that I, I recently published called Memory Lane. Uh-huh. And, um, I'm really excited about it. I, it's a new opportunity for me and uh, a new challenge. Yes, yes. And and I love it in so many ways. You know, it's like the whole thing about this this book for me when I when I think about it, it starts with the name. You know, memory lane, and and the implication of to me what a lane is, and you know, and 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 the incredible this this set of photographs that that look to me like what happens in my family's. Um, like the 
not now when phones are where people take their photographs, but when people used to print out photographs. We weren't the families that had them all organized into albums. They kind of got into boxes or whatever, you know, and so then they'd kind of be spilled out to look at. And that's exactly what you invite us into at the beginning of this book is this set of photographs, which just delights me in, in and of itself, that that image of these photographs laid out, you know, on top of each other in slightly different time periods. They're black and white. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, you hit the nail on the head. When I went to uh, dig up these pictures for the book, they were actually in a drawer, just spilled out and spilled in, just exactly like you were talking about. Just a big <laughs> pile of pictures. And I had uh-huh. a blast that day going through every picture. And this was after the book was written, after it was waiting for publication. And, and Wolf, my publisher... And I went back and forth about, uh, should we have pictures? Should we not have pictures? Um, Where should they be in the book and how should we present them? And um, it finally occurred to us that uh, they should just be thrown on a pile. In fact, kind of in the same haphazard way that the book approaches the memories. And the memory lane referred to in the title um, uh, references the the whole thrust of the book itself, because the whole book takes place on the street where I I can't say grew up because I'm only five foot six, so <laughs> where I came to adulthood, um, uh, it, it it all takes place on that street. But it's a lane. It's not just a street. See, I love that part, too. There's something both about a lane, you know, I think because I think about I'm you're obviously a word person. You're a writer. And and my brain is sometimes, I think, a little bit more warped than other people. So, so how my brain inter- interprets things might be different. But I think about an area that's called a lane is much more intimate to me than an area that's called a street or an avenue or a oh boulevard. yeah yeah much more much more insular and yeah. uh, for me the title worked on a whole bunch of different levels you know it's it's yeah. like right right down your lane right down your alley and yeah. and, and memory lane you know uh, a, a look back memory lane the reference to a street itself um when the title popped into my head and it literally did pop into my head uh wolf wrote to me asked asking me what i wanted to call it and it was immediate i knew it was going to be memory lane and i didn't even research to see if if there were any other books that used that title and i'm sure there were along the way but uh Uh it felt perfect and right for me so memory lane it was yeah yeah and and for me it also goes off on you know as i say i kind of i have my own warped brain tangent of things but so i i often talk to people about how we kind of have these pathways in how our brain works you know um and and so for me there was that other part of it of thinking about the memory lane that you were on as you were writing this book 
the way your brain was going from here to there, from here to there, you know, places you maybe didn't expect. Certainly I, as the reader, I love the conversational tone of, you know, you wander here and you wander there. And, and that's the way our brains work, you know? So it was, so it was that part too. It's like, this is what happens. Our, our brain is, is going down this lane. And so these things come up in certain, certain sequences and there's connections that we know somebody else may not understand why we went from here to there, but, but, you know, it's, it's connecting in our brain. It's to me, it's all fascinating. And I have to say that when you first told me your book was called memory lane, I couldn't stop this image in my head of, okay, so, so you're, publisher for this and so many of your books is the wonderful Wolfgang Karstens and that's Epic Epic Rights Press and somebody who does so much illustration with you guys and some poetry is the wonderful Yannick Carlson from Sweden and so there was a part of me and I and I told you this that was stuck on this image of a bowling alley lane and Yana illustrating this bowling alley lane with an exploding <laughs> bowling ball. And I, I had a while shaking that. It's not the right image for this particular piece of work, but maybe someday that'll be another episode of Memory Lane. <laughs> well, I, I really, really, really enjoy working with him. He's, he's uh-huh. a fantastic illustrator and he finds new nuances in my books in uh-huh. in my work and in fact he's partly responsible for why this book came about uh-huh. um, he and i worked on my previous book my last book uh as real as rain yes, yes. and um a review of that talking about how at this late stage in my career uh what? The, rev- the review said that that I I don't seem content to be resting on my laurels at a the review went on saying at a time when I should be writing my memoirs I'm still taking new chances and and trying new things and uh, it got me to thinking about well you know what do I have to offer in, in the in the way of a memoir and I thought nothing I've really known no in no widely known people or or anything like that no stars no people like that but i have known a lot of interesting people uh-huh. and so i just sat down and started writing and what happened was the day i finished the first oh thousand words or so i sent it to wolf and he wrote back saying this is really good continue and we went for eight days back and forth. I would write, send it to him, and he would urge me on and slap me on the back and kick me in the butt <laughs> and say, continue. And it went back and forth like that for eight days until the book was written. It was eight days of solid work with very little revision. And I did that purposely because I wanted to, the book to be Free-flowing, kind of like jazz, kind of like a conversation. Um, You start a conversation out with a thought in mind and a direction in mind, and 
like you said, somebody will say something and it, it, it takes the whole conversation in a whole new direction. And it may not be where you intended it to go, but it's still a good, fun, interesting conversation. And I used this book and these memories to kind of spur things. So the book isn't a a linear description of that period in my life. It bounces back and forth, much like thoughts do. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's delightful. And 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 I was prompted, of course, to look up a little bit about those boxers you reference. And that was another treat to to think, well, this this interesting concept of these African American boxers, one of whom um, came out as gay and how controversial all that was and how that was part of the sort of punctuation of, of memory lane, you know, and that's, I, I used Dick Tiger and Emil Griffith too. I grew up idolizing those two guys. They were just two tough, tough men in a time when, when boxing was really tough and, and, and when it was one of the, the elite, things in sports. And I use those two men and the experiences of their lives and how they touched my life as kind of signposts along the way in the book. Uh-huh. And uh, the book, unlike my poems, was much more structured, even though it's a loose book, it was much more structured and planned, even though the plan kind of developed along the way, I, if you know what I mean. Well, tell me a little bit about the writing of Real as Rain, just to, to help me understand that, that difference better. So when you've written a book of poetry, how is that less, you know, sort of structured than you're talking about this memoir was? Well, when I put a book of poetry together, uh-huh. um, I let the book talk to me. Uh, I, I've got my pile of poems, and I start looking at them, trying to figure out the way that... And Wolf taught me this, that, that the book has... Even though it's a book of poetry, it's not just a collection of poems. It has to have a thought, a purpose, and a flow, a a very real beginning, middle, and end. And I'll take my whole bunch of poems and spread them out on on a big table and start looking at them and trying to get a feel for a book. And then once I put that particular book, As Real as Rain, together, um, oh, and and Cultural Weekly... um, Listed that and a review of it yeah. on their on their list of top ten things yes. for 2017. It was number four, and that was that was um, uh, Eileen Murphy's wonderful, wonderful review of that book, and and she did see again. I'm getting off the thought here, and that's, that's kind of okay. like how. <laughs> how memory lane went just bouncing around from subject to subject yeah. but I, I i was i was talking about how once i put as real as rain together 
then I sent it to Mr. Carlson, who then exploded the book. His drawings, <laughs> his drawings drew out and exposed things in the poems that I didn't think were there, that maybe okay. I didn't intend to be there. Yeah. But it was just wonderful seeing sides of the poems that perhaps readers see and I don't see or hadn't um, on a surface intended. Yeah, Yana's yeah, illustrations are wonderful. Sometimes they're a little intense for me. Sometimes they're a lot intense for me, honestly. But <laughs> he's such, you guys are, it, it's this interesting thing to me that, you know, if I think about Yana's illustrations being paired with your work, it does, it does enhance the work in really interesting ways, you know, and, and it's, all this, this to me, this connectedness that my guess is that at this point, there's this set of you who who connected through Epic Rights Press, you know, Wolfgang and you and Rob Plath and Yana Carlson in particular, that you know each other so well at this point. You can surprise each other, but you know each other and love each other and bring out the best in each other and, and push each other, you know, and it's like this this wonderful, another kind of a family, you know, uh, separate from your sister who also said, yeah, you should write a memoir sometime, you know. <laughs> you, 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 like you said, we, we push each other we're not afraid to say, hey, this is crap, that's crap, or, or try it a different way or look at it a different way. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, we, we approach it from a very workmanlike fashion, a very, we hope, professional fashion. Uh-huh. Uh, because as much as people like to, and I respect that, like to look at this as an art, it's also a job. Uh, yes. Being a writer is a job and yes. must be approached as such. Yes, which is my cue, not that you were asking me to, but that reminder to our listeners, man, buy books. I I know I always say this thing about expensive coffee, but man, I'm drinking wonderful coffee from beans that I bought and reground, and it doesn't cost me $5 a mug for great coffee. And so instead the thing that I am most likely to buy several times a month is a new book of poetry or some other writing by somebody who I've encountered, whether it's at a reading or recommended by a friend who I respect or whatever. But but buying a book to me is so much more, such a better thing to do, such a richer experience than spending all that darn money on, on coffee drinks. <laughs> Come on, people. You know, and, and like you said, John, art is work, whether it's, you know, whatever kind of art people are creating, whether it's with words or with sculpting or dance or whatever, it's work and people have to work hard to create art that's really meaningful, that really communicates a lot, that gets people thinking, that gets people laughing and crying and thinking and learning something they didn't maybe expect to learn. That doesn't just happen easily, randomly, by anybody sitting down with whatever tools, you know? And so that that importance of, of 
actually spending some money on art, not just looking for what can I read for free online, but you know, how do I spend some money? And I am always the advocate for go to readings and buy directly from that person when you can. And when well, I, you can. I, I, I really do appreciate that because I, I run into writers uh, every day who, when their book comes out, they'll act like it's beneath them to talk about getting the book sold or, or asking for a sale. They, they really do act like it's beneath them. And I think that's very disrespectful to these publishers right. who lay it on the line, who lay their take it out of their own pockets, out of their kids' mouths, and lay it on the line to put dopes like me into print. <laughs> and I think it's very disrespectful to these people to not do your best and work your hardest to get these books sold. Right. That's when the real right. work of this whole process takes place. Yes, yeah. And, and one of the things that's really interesting to me is that there is this huge relationship, this powerful relationship between, in this case, writers and publishers, but never this demand that you may only, well, not never, but with the, with the small presses, the artisan presses that, that I've been exposed to, never a demand that you should limit your exposure to only books that I publish. You know, it's not like you know, John Amherst must only be published by one publisher and only ever promote one publisher. You know, on the other hand, you know, I, you know, I, I see, um, I, I'm a, I'm a very loyal person and I'm not going to, I guess I'm, I don't know. My brain has gone where it's gone. I'm not going to say a person's name out loud, but there is a small press publisher who wrote something to Rob Plath who is an amazing poet, writer, photographer, painter, um, and again, part of the Epic Rights Corps, press core group. Somebody wrote something really cruel to Rob. And I'm like, okay, I'm done with that. I had bought one book from this person's press. I will never buy another book from that person's press. I get to make that choice, folks. <laughs> And I'm just saying, you know, buy, you know, look at, look at the presses, buy this from the small presses when you can. Absolutely. And, and you'll see that writers who are good writers, they may be published by a bunch of different presses and journals at different times. And the best of those writers is always letting people know how to get their work, not just because it benefits them, but like you're saying, John, it's also elevating those small presses. And I love the ones who are also connecting people together with this press and that press, you know. Wolfgang Karstens is the publisher of Epic Rights Press. Well, Wolf's books, Wolf's poetry is included in a lot of other people's presses and journals. And he's always going to be telling you how great that other press and journal is and encourage you to take a look, you know. So, so I just, I think... It's part of the goodness of the world. It's part of the connection. To me, art, one of the huge values is it brings people together at a time, at times when we need to know we belong, we're connected, you know? And so I'm, I really encourage people, again, show what's important to you by spending some money on art. Uh, 
thank you. That, that that's very well put, well said. Um, um, getting back to uh, memory lane. Yeah, you, you got me thinking about the people in the book. Uh-huh. I was talking about how I I didn't know or and don't know a lot of famous individuals. Um, but the people in the book were famous to me. Um, A a good example is the lady in the book, Black Mary. Uh And uh, she was an outcast. In our neighborhood, it was like growing up inside an unwritten Tennessee Williams play. (laughs) (laughs) There were so many characters in that town. We had Black Mary. Black Mary... For people who have yet to read the book or buy the book, Black Mary was this recluse. Uh, As kids, we thought of her as an old woman. She was probably in reality, probably in her 40s at the time. And she dressed all in black from head to toe, and she was this legendary figure to us. And our our parents used to tell us that if Black Mary looked you in the eye, you'd freeze and turn to stone. Your and, parents? Wait a minute. Your parents would tell you this? Yeah. Or, or oh my that's, gosh. that's at least how it came down to us. I, uh-huh. You know, that's 60 years ago, but... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, who knows what Black Mary was really like? She was she was probably just just this Italian, maybe war widow. This being uh-huh. in the fifties, not long after the war had ended, and she was probably a war widow who dressed in black. And uh, being kids, cruel as we were as kids, we'd hide behind the hedges when Black Mary would walk along, and we'd giggle. But the whole town, like I said, was filled with characters like that. We had, and I didn't even have time to write about her in the book, we had uh, a woman who, again, probably was in her early 40s, who walked the streets dressed in a wedding gown, complete complete with white heels, white gloves that went up past her elbows, and a white parasol, a white umbrella in the summer, and she'd walk up and down the streets. And I don't know the story, but the kids always talked saying that she was jilted at the altar and never wore anything but her wedding dress. Uh-huh. We had we had a, a town full of characters like that. Uh-huh. Or at least, had, in your, at least in your memory you did, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had... You know, this was the 50s. It was a simpler time. We had, we had, uh, I don't want to call them the town drunk because there were too many to have one uh, official town drunk. But one fourth of July morning, this, we woke up to the sound of Reveille being played very badly on a, on a trumpet at the bar that was three or four doors up the street from our house. And there on the front steps of the bar was, um, I I won't say his name, but he was drunk as a skunk saying, it's 4th of July, get up, celebrate, it's the 4th of July. And the cops came. And when the cops came, it was really only one cop because we're a small town. And I I remember (laughs) the cop with his his great big stomach. And... uh, 
he didn't arrest him. He he just helped get him in the car and drove him home so he could sleep it off. And that was the kind of town it was. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he, it wasn't a crime. He was just drunk and sad. And they took him home and let him sleep it off. So hopefully, at, at least in the book, I, I got to start to talk about and memorialize some of these these characters that I knew growing up, growing up, who helped turn me into what I am or, or what I'm not today. Uh huh. Yeah. So you you grew up, you said, like in this area, as opposed to having multiple moves across the country or whatever. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a. Um, it was a very insular Polish slash Slovak community. Um, our street was Polish. The street behind us was the Slovaks. The street over was the Lithuanians, and 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 it was so so insulated that uh, uh, you know if someone's Polish daughter was dating a Lithuanian, that was oh my God, she's dating a Lithuanian. Not wow. to mention you know going so exotic as to date a a, a Greek or a Lebanese or something like that. But uh, it was a very closed society we grew up in. And as I talk in the book, I, I was part of a, a coal mining family and community. Um, I remember my my grandfather, he would show me his hands and very proudly show me his hands. And you could look under the skin and see the the chunks of coal that were still embedded in his skin in his oh, wow. fingers and up his arms and and my father after he had left the 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 mines uh years afterwards well not too many because he had eventually ended up dying from black lung but uh, uh for years afterwards he could on command cough up black yeah. coal dust uh, from his lungs um so was there pressure on you to work in the mines? No, no. Uh, well, well, the mines were ending at that time. The the okay. the demand was drying up, and so, and so was the uh, the veins of coal. And as a kid, I remember my father taking me to the mine. Um, I I don't know what the occasion was. I was probably five or six. And he took me on a a quick walking tour. Maybe he was there to pick up a paycheck and took me along with him. But he took me to the um, site where the cages would go down into the ground. And it was like walking around inside an Emil Zola novel, uh, Uh just seeing this cage. And it scared the hell out of me. And, and, And I remember him saying to me that you're going to get an education. You're going to not end up in the mines like I did. Oh, okay. Because it's that whole coal mine conversation that somebody elevated in the last couple of years. I won't mention who, you know, Mm -hmm. and and hearing people talk about how they really see that work as their only possibility. Oh, I remember my grandfather talking about him and my grandmother talking because, again, it was a, a the whole family practically lived on the same street. And my grandfather would talk about the uh, the mules that would spend their whole lives in the mines. 
only coming out after they were dead and they'd put them on one of the cages and bring them back out. And the men were like the mules too. Uh, If they were killed in the mines, my grandmother would tell me that uh, the the company would bring home the corpse, the body, and and leave it on their porch for the family to do with what they would. Um, I remember my my father and my grandfather getting a... uh, uh, a jug, a, a, a gallon of beer from that corner bar, and that was their relaxation after after a hard day's work, having that gallon of beer. Um, even on a Sunday, when the blue laws were in effect, and they'd go to the back door of the bar who, and, and have their knock and get let in and get their probably 75-cent gallon of, of beer and take it home in a brown paper bag. And I'm I'm struck by, you know, when you compare the actual mule animals and the people basically being treated in the same way, it my brain jumps over to to Wolfgang Karsten's book, Rented Mule, you know, that's about a different type of work experience of course, but but that in inhumanity. Yeah, dehumanizing. Yeah. You know, this has been a, a a good run for me. I'm I'm 66 now. I've been doing this a long time. My first book came out a long time ago, 1970. So this is 48 years I've been publishing and bouncing around and going from from press and press to press and publisher to publisher. And this late in my career, I've been lucky enough to latch on to Wolfgang Karsten's and um, I'll soon be publishing my 10th book through Epic Rights Press, which for a small press author, for well, for any author, it's, it's kind of unusual. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a, a publisher and a, a friend like Wolf. Yes, yes. And, and of course, you know, in your in your dedication to your book, of course, you mentioned Wolfgang. You don't mention any dogs, though, man. I was disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's so many dogs in my life. Uh, you know, we've talked about my book Bark, which is is uh-huh. still uh, still the biggest selling book I've ever published. Uh, my book of dog poem said Uh it's called bark it's on amazon if anyone's interested uh if you have a friend who's got a dog or if you're a dog lover um i think you'd like that book and someday Uh someday i'll publish a a bark two or something like that Uh more dog poems but Uh uh, for right now that's what i've got yeah and in the book there is a reference to tippy to one neighborhood dog at least so Mm -hmm. i I wondered how that informed your love of dogs that poor dog tippy ah tippy tippy was chained out as dogs were often back in those days he was chained out he had his his little dog house and he was chained by the neck and he probably had eight or ten feet of chain and Summer, winter, heat or cold, old Tippy was out there, and uh, uh-huh. it still breaks my heart to this day to think of him. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the the book has has funny scenes and sad yeah. scenes, yes. and 
and that's life. That's that's my memories. That's my that's memory real life. lane. Yeah, yeah, that's real life. It's not all good. It's not all bad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I have to do a random shout out because of your mention of Tippy. So I'm in the health food store, our, our local one here in Lawrence, Kansas. And I see this woman and she has on a hoodie and on the back of it, it says chains of love. And I can't tell exactly what it says on it. Cause just the, just the way it's hanging on her, but I see the word dog. And so I, I wait while she's doing, she's, getting whatever purchase accomplished and then I and I you know kind of walk up to her and I say hey I'm really interested in what chains of love is and so she tells me this wonderful story and it makes me think about a lot of people but it's the story of in the Kansas City area there is an animal rescue group a volunteer animal rescue group who go into neighborhoods and look out for dogs that are left chained without adequate protection and food and water and they actually go these volunteers go and knock on doors and try to talk to people about the care of their animals and offer to buy the animals if needed wow if the people are willing to get them rehabilitated and and house someplace else it's like how awesome is that so that's yeah. really cool. You, you know, the, these pets, without reserve, they give us so much and, and ask so little in return. All you got to do is, you know, little food, a little water, and a lot of love. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of your favorite people is one of those dog lovers. Rob Plath, I love this about him. One of the things this person does, who, again, he's a poet, He's does all this art. He volunteers for the New York Bully Crew, which means he walks pit bulls who are rescued. And he does this regularly, and he'll post photos sometimes of the dogs and these sweet stories about these poor dogs that have been so abused, but they're so ready to love those humans who are kind to them. Mm-hmm. You know, So huge shout-out to Rob for being part of, of that dog rescue. You got some good friends, John, good people. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a lucky man. Yeah, you're a lucky man. But I is remind people this: you don't have good people in your life unless you're a good people too. So there you go. Jeez. Yeah, it's true. Doesn't just happen. So what are you working on now? What am I working on now? Yeah. Um, I'm continuing that that work towards doing new things. I've got, it's finally on the home stretch, my first ever children's book. And it's not intended as a children's book. Uh, Although it's not, I don't know how to explain it. It's going to be illustrated. It's a book about dogs. It's kind of intended for kids, but I'm hoping it's for kids of all ages. Uh-huh. And uh, this children's book will be out later. I was going to say next year, but it's 2018 already. I know. Uh, uh, so it'll be out later this year. And and then after that, I've got uh, uh, a big book commemorating my my tenure 
with Epic Rights Press. It's going oh, cool. to be a a collection of the best of my work that I've published through Epic Rights Press. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot to look forward to, and mm-hmm. it, it keeps me getting up in the morning and and getting down here to get to work at at what I do. Um, I often wondered and worried uh, what would happen once I finally started writing full time. Uh, I used to fear that once the pressure was there to produce full time and that's all I was doing, that things would dry up. But that was not the case. It was Todd Moore. I don't know if you know Todd Moore, who who passed on a few years ago. A, a I don't. Great. I have not read his work yet. Sorry. Look him up. T O D D Moore. M O O R E. He was like the king of the small presses, and he he spent forty years writing a poem series called the Dillinger Poems. And his son estimates that it was 3,000 pages long. And it was this long poem series about John Dillinger. And he was able to write these 3,000 pages, which he published here and there, you know, bouncing around in the small presses like we all did and do. Um, And he made this epic poem endlessly interesting. always knew just writing about John Dillinger and the gangsters and and, and the 30s and the 40s and tying it to his own life. Uh, uh, Moore was probably uh, 10, 15 years older than me, and uh, he was the first one to ever write an extended um, consideration of my writing and for years, that was the the gold standard article on my work. Uh, in fact, we ended up using that as the introduction for one of my my epic rights books. Uh, Todd Moore, look him up. Yeah, I need to. I need to. I, so, I so much I so much enjoy talking with you, and I appreciate <laughs> you letting me get off on these crazy tangents. It's it's so much fun because you come prepared and ready to rock and roll. This is really a lot of fun. Well, you know what I always tell you? I'm not prepared. I'm interested. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Even though you've got this cold, which which has your voice sounding like a little more baritone than it than it usually is, but uh, yeah. uh, it's always wonderful talking to you. Thank you, John. I want to I want to ask you back a little bit more about the, this the dog book that's for kids of all ages. Is it a story? Is it prose poetry? Is it poetry? What what kind of writing is this book? Hmm. Uh, it, it it started out attended as a children's book, and uh-huh. and it like Memory Lane, it kind of bounces back and forth. In this instance, it bounces back and forth between prose and poetry, uh-huh. as the story required it. Uh-huh. It's a story about two dogs, uh, one of whom thinks she's a princess, not a dog. Oh. And it's about her learning that to be a dog can be a very cool thing. <laughs> and 
that's about all I'll, I'll tell about it now, but I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, uh, the book has been a long time in the works, and it's finally going to be coming out. Do you have an estimated time of No, arrival? no. I, I, I just believe it'll be later this year, uh-huh. and uh, we'll see what time and circumstances uh, how that plays out, but but yeah. it's done and and ready to go. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, things are good for me. Um, but it's interesting. Like I said, I've been doing this for forty eight years, and I'll go and I'll do a reading, and I do a lot less than I used to. Um, but I'll do a reading, and they'll introduce me, and they'll say that uh, you know I've got. Uh, 28 books published and and nearing 2,000 magazine publications. And that always gets people's attention. And I I guess rightly so, and I'm proud of that. But the thing that I'm most proud of is that those large numbers have been acquired one day at a time, coming down here into this basement at this desk where I do my work uh-huh. one day at a time. And that's that's the thing I'm proud of, the dedication, uh, the carrying the lunch pail as a worker, as a job, as a writer should view it. Uh-huh. Well, I think one of the things you have to be very proud of is the Wakefield Poetry Press. <laughs> Do you really want me to go there? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we It's a story I tell often, and only for you will I retell it. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> I started out with a friend of mine. We wanted in the worst way to be writers, and before we became writers in the worst way, um, we would walk the streets of what turned out to be memory lane. We'd walk those streets and uh, unfortunately drink a lot of very cheap vodka. It was pop-off vodka. If you remember, it had this little Mexican hat on the top of the bottle. And uh, one night we had reached the bottom of yet another bottle of pop-off vodka and we were complaining that, that no magazines would take us because they would write back and saying, well, what awards have you won and where have you been published and what awards have you won? And finally, I remember Rick, my friend, taking a last swig of this bottle and looking up at the street sign. And it was the corner of, oh God, it was the corner of something and Wakefield streets. Uh-huh. And he looked up at that and said, I now award you the Wakefield Prize. And he unsteadily handed me the bottle of vodka, (laughs) the Wakefield Prize. And the next morning, uh, I did. The next morning, I wrote off to a magazine, a rather prestigious magazine that uh, I'll not mention, um, and wrote to them saying I was recently awarded the... uh, the very prestigious Wakefield Prize. Would you consider taking some of my work? Uh-huh. A few weeks later, I got a, uh, I was going to say email, but I didn't. I, I, I got a, a letter in the mail from the publisher saying that uh, uh, I got your submission. And yes, I've, I've, 
I'm aware of the Wakefield Prize. Congratulations. I'd like to take your work. And that is how I lied my way into the door to become a writer. And uh, I guess I've been lying ever it's not a lot. You did have that prize. <laughs> That's a, I love that story. I love that story. <laughs> you know, I, so, guess, I guess you hang around long enough. You, you, everybody's got a lot of stories in them, and uh, yeah, yeah, they're good. And I and I want to get back to memory lane. So, so this little book is so touching. And I think anybody who reads it is going to be delighted and prompted to think some about their own stories, their own memories, chuckle about the way it moves from here to there, you know, get a, get that sense. Not all of us grew up in neighborhoods in the sense of um, living someplace for a long period of time and, and getting to know as much about sort of that community some of us kind of grew up more haphazardly and so it's a glimpse into that and even though yeah it's a memoir it's prose the poet's touch is is always there in the way that that your words affect you know it's as a poet i mean a poet i know you said you're a writer of poetry not a poet as a writer of poetry, as that being part of the core of your being, you use words in a way where there is so much built into every small sequence of words, you know? And it's it's delightful for people. I to me, this is one of those books, and in the context of 2018 and what 2017 was, this is one of those books that that will bring needed smiles to people's faces. And that is a huge gift. And so I really, you know, I, I know that I always tell people to buy books, but this is one of those books, whether you buy it for yourself or you buy it for somebody, you'll be really glad. It's, it's a delight. And it may be an introduction to a writer who you haven't read before and maybe intrigues you to consider additional books that's all good too but gosh i encourage people to start with memory lane and i want you to say something you know we mentioned that the dedication is to wolfgang and it says and of course for kathy and i know from my very different from yours work man a supportive partner is key in being able to do things that we do so give us the teeniest glimpse without being too nosy about Kathy. Oh boy. I I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> she supports me by turning me loose and looking the other way. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. All my books, with the exception of As Real as Rain, have been dedicated to her. And that one, I, I couldn't because it was uh, working with Yana. Uh, so I didn't feel I could do that. But Kathy's always been there for me. She has been to, in my 48 years, she has been to two of my readings, both of <laughs> which went went off the rails terribly because I got so nervous 
so wrapped up in trying to impress her and do well for her that I screwed up royally. And so so she keeps away from anything I do like that. And uh, she doesn't even hide in the wings or hide in the last row. She just keeps away and lets me do my thing. So, uh-huh. so as, as such, it's a very good thing. You know, you, we've been married for 42 years now, and I'm a lucky man. So yeah. maybe someday I'll write about that, and maybe I won't. Yeah. Well, you don't really have to because we know that Wolfgang has that beautiful little book, Hell in High Water. So, you know, you, you, you've got you've got your good friend who's covered some of that marital bliss ups and downs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you, you mentioned that you write in the basement. And yes. I'm thinking, the basement? Oh, no, the basement is, is fully... The, you know, it's it's all worked over, and and I've I've got my of all the rooms in the house, I've got my library down here, which is oh, okay. four walls of they're not fancy, but they are custom shelves, floor to ceiling, uh-huh. uh, four walls of books, floor to ceiling. I mean, what more could you ask for? I got a refrigerator right next to me, and <laughs> so. So I'm a happy guy. I come down here and do my work and start my day down here. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm lucky. That's a good thing to know about yourself, that you're lucky. There's there's hard work, but also that there's good fortune. Yeah. Yep. You, well, you, you, know, you, you make your own luck. Uh-huh. Uh, if anyone has been interested by what we're talking about today and we're just BSing and going back and forth. And I, I really do do enjoy talking to you, but uh, if anyone's interested in, in my work or maybe Wolf's work or, or Rob Platt's work, just go to Amazon and, and look up some of the work and, and drop 10 bucks. You know, like you said, it's worth that yeah. two cups of coffee. Yeah. And I'm going to nudge, start out at Epic Rights Press. Look and see what's what's there, because what you'll find is that when the Epic Rights Press new work is coming out, you can pre-order. That's how I got memory lane early, you know, earlier yeah. than some people, is I pre-ordered it because I really wanted to make sure I had it. So look and see what's on there. Cruise that list of, you know, of books look at the punk chapbook series see who some of those people are you know so so some of the things you'll be able to buy um like with the pre-orders you'll start directly at epic rights press some of them will send you a link over to amazon you know but i'm i'm gonna always say if you can buy from the press do that if you you know that's a very good point because the press gets a bigger, any press yeah. gets a bigger cut of the pie when you buy directly. And, yeah. and, you know, as great as Amazon is in helping these small presses, um, these guys need every penny they can get, these small presses. Yes. So buy directly whenever yeah. possible. Yeah. And I, I know you personally make that a point. Yeah, I do. And sometimes if I can't, if it's not available that way, I still can get my local independent bookstore here in Lawrence, the Raven Bookstore, to order, you know. And so Raven Bookstore is this lovely independent bookseller. 
They host readings. Does Amazon host readings of poets in your neighborhood? I don't think so. You know, so so there's all this wonderful benefits of supporting our local independent bookstores as well. You know, and again, I know around here in a variety of communities in the Kansas City, Lawrence, Topeka, this Midwest area, there still are independent bookstores. And yeah, that's where the poets are, are doing readings. That's one of the places. Some of the readings are in bars and other places too. I'm not saying they're only at the bookstores, but you know, the, those bookstores do a huge service. And so it's a wonderful thing to, to buy there too. If you can't buy it, you know, from the writer directly from that small press, you know, to me, I, I, I look at Amazon as sometimes a way to find some information, but it's always my last resort for a purchase. Yeah, last resort or at least a starting point, you know, a uh-huh. jumping off point. You yeah. know, it, it's funny, uh, getting ready, preparing for my, my meeting with you today, which is always a pleasure. Uh, I prepared, as always, a, uh, a whole bunch of poems to read in case we ever reached that. And, and once again, this conversation just went on, and, and it was a, a real blast. And if anyone wanted to, you know, find out about my poetry, which is very conversational poetry, again, like you said, they can go to Epic Rights. That's E-P-I-C Rights dot com um, and, and check that out. But if I may and I know we're running out of time here, we're we're reaching the end. If I may, can I close my portion of this with one brief poem? Yeah, more than one, absolutely. Just one, that's all I want to do. Okay. Just one. Just... <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is fairly new. It's called, well, one of my first publishers is retired and living in France. He's on his second wife and lives on a farm in the country. Every now and then he sends me these long, long emails talking about the wine, the food, the people, and how much he loves his life. Since he ditched the first wife, gave up writing, and moved away. In relative terms, he's on the near side of rich. I swear to God he got none of that from publishing me. I didn't even answer his last two emails. I didn't know what to say other than I hope he's happy over there in France with his second wife and his fields and his wine. When you get right down to it, at the end of it all, we both won, he and I. He's got France and I've got me. All right. That's awesome. I like that. You've got a great life. You've got great friends, obviously a wonderful, supportive, fun-loving, has to be to be with you, a wife. You know, you've got all this goodness, and it's so cool to say, yeah, so what if he's in France? Ah, we're going to go to France, we'll go to France, but we have a great life. I do, I do. Yeah. And, and thank you for allowing me to share it with your listeners. It's always a pleasure to talk to you it's always a pleasure to read your your works and and with memory lane okay so we got these photographs that are a delight and let our brains imagine even more as we're looking at this turning the page around because the the photographs are kind of spilled out on this page and you can see parts of them you can see 
you know, different angles, different little segments of different ones. John on a bike. And people go, man, that's a classic bike. That is awesome. You know? <laughs> hey, how about that cover of me holding yeah, the baseball bat? I got, yeah, I got a swing dude. like Willie Mays there in that picture. There you go. You got that bat. <laughs> you got that, that fabulous car and catcher right behind you. It's amazing. And, and tomorrow, Cultural Weekly will be publishing uh, an interview with me, actually conducted by, by um, Eileen Murphy, who uh-huh. you're going to be having as a guest in, yeah. in, in a short time. And in that interview that Eileen and I, we take some of the pictures that maybe didn't end up in the book. And in the interview, I, we talk back and forth about those pictures. So that's a little bit of backstory on memory lane. So if you have a chance, go to my website or go to go to Facebook and look for that interview after tomorrow and uh, get a little bit of backstory on the book. Yes, yeah, so the interviews should be up about the same time that the podcast is available so people can can look for both of those and you know, that you can, when I say both of those, what I'm also thinking is that Eileen Murphy is also the one who wrote the review of Real as Rain that was listed in the top 10 for Cultural Weekly for the last year. So you know already that she's a great writer. And so it'll be a huge treat to see what she has to say in this conversation on paper, on the, you know, on the screen with with uh, John Yamaris, and you have, an, I mean, all the reviews that are coming in are huge praise, right? I mean, you, you shared one. I, I said I wasn't going to read it until after you and I had talked, but, you know, just people you're going to find, there is lots of reason to love John's work. So read the review, but most of all, buy the book. <laughs> you will be so happy that you did, you know, and look for that, that poetry. Look for what comes next. Follow his page, you know, his John Yammer's website, because you'll learn about, you know, what's new that's coming out. I'm intrigued by this kiddos book, you know, even knowing that it's not only going to be for kids, but it's delightful to have things that that get shared with kids and they make their meaning of it as well as the adults make their meaning of it. It's, it's really wonderful. So John, thank you again for joining me for talk with me. It's my pleasure. And I'm here anytime you want to have me on the show. I enjoy talking to you. Cool. And and thanks to Daniel Smith who produces the show because he's the one who lets people hear it. And that's a very good thing. Thank you, Daniel. And so long to our listeners. Bye-bye.